As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. Do you desperately want your children to listen to you the first time you ask them to do something? Do you want to stop yelling? Do you want to learn to manage toddler tantrums or incorrigible teenagers? This is the episode for you. To gain knowledge and strength through study and experience while laughing along the journey to better support our family and friends in an effort to serve society. This is the family mission statement of Rina B. Patel, a parenting expert, guidance counselor, licensed educational psychologist, and board-certified behavior analyst. For more than 20 years, Rina B. Patel, LEP, BCBA, has had the privilege of working with families and children supporting all aspects of education and positive wellness. Patel has worked extensively with developing children, as well as children with exceptional needs, supporting their academic, behavioral, and social development. Patel is the founder and CEO of Autism and More that serves to help children and their families embed positive behavior support strategies across home, school, and community settings. Her company strives to improve the quality of life for all children. She routinely holds workshops throughout California, guiding and training parents, mental health professionals, families, and educators on positive parenting techniques, educational interventions, and practical solutions on how it can be beneficial for all children. All workshops have a positive approach and a message of kindness and compassion. Recently nominated for San Diego Magazine's Woman of the Year, she continues to write children's stories, provides unmatched support to her community and beyond via her private practice and training. Rina, I am so thrilled and honored to have you joining me on That Subtle Mom Sense today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start from the beginning. What compelled you to pursue your career in child psychology? I started off as a chemistry major, (laughs) believe it or not, but I was taking psychology courses through college and it was just so fascinating. In fact, I think it's such a great skill set to have in any career that you pursue because it really is understanding how people, you know, tick, like what makes them do what they do. And we're all about wellness. And so my interest in psychology has always been there. And, but I've always been fascinated with learning. Learning never came easy to me when I was young. I was a different type of learner. And I just really did believe that there are different types of intelligence. And so as I was discovering that about myself, I realized that I wanted to not only study psychology, but I wanted to find a program that also um, taught me what I need to to do to become an educator. I am a child psychologist. I am a a school counselor. I am a um, behavioral psychologist. And and so I do focus on all of that and I use it in my everyday work. Now, can you describe uh, the programs that you were Work on with your company, Autism and More? When I was in my early 20s, I 
took up an internship at a psychiatric hospital over at UCLA while I was in graduate school. And I fell in love with a specific population of uh, children. And they were those who had ASD, autism spectrum disorder. It just became my niche. And so at a young age, while I was training, I started to just pick up skills. I was put in positions where I was learning different techniques. One of the biggest ones is something called applied behavioral analysis. And long story short, 20 something years later, I'm now what's called a BCBA who are highly trained with this particular methodology, which is so effective with kiddos and adults with autism. So I really wanted to, I worked in over 20 years in a school system and I developed autism programs and I just had a passion for helping this population. And I work with so many different disabilities and um, conditions that impact families and impact kids who have difficulty learning, but autism has really stuck with me. And so I wanted to create a business that surrounded that and really helped families with something which is such high prevalence. Actually, Kanika, when I started in the 90s, uh, autism was about one in 600. Now we're here and we're we're about one in, I want to say, possibly like 67, 68. So somebody knows somebody with autism. Yes. And how would you um, describe how someone with ASD perceives the world? You know, uh, the biggest myth is that they don't want to have friends and individuals with autism actually do want to have friendships. They just don't know how, and they have a lot of sensitivity to certain environmental things that keep that from happening. And so uh, when I think about autism, one, they call it a spectrum because no child is alike. And uh, you've got kiddos and adults who are super intelligent, who can function in a workplace, who can do so well in school. To those who are completely nonverbal, you see high levels of behavior and challenges that sometimes in a school setting, they have to be in a smaller group or what they call a self-contained classroom. And so it really does vary. But the biggest difference or the thing to know about someone who has autism is they have social and communication deficits challenges. Okay, that makes sense. So as families, we're still quarantined and, you know, we haven't seen the light at the end of the tunnel yet, even though uh, many cities are reopening. And so parents are kind of left with this decision. Do I put my child in daycare over the summer or when schools open up in September, do I put my child in school or leave them at home? What do you think are the, I guess, challenges and benefits of both? Well, I think the, the benefits is if you are a frontline worker or you are someone who has to work and you don't have childcare, it's nice knowing that there is something out there for families. And, and there are many families who have to use that. We're not, you know, they're not fortunate enough to have someone at home or access to a nanny per se or family members who can watch your child. So I would First, make sure that whatever program you put your child in, if it's a daycare facility, that uh, they are just everything is up to par in terms of regulations, uh, protocols. Uh, as a parent myself, I, you, they should be wearing masks. I know a lot of preschool and early childhood programs are allowing children to not wear masks once they're inside and in their classroom. And I don't think that that's where we are at yet. And that goes for even extracurricular activities as kids are starting to do dance and soccer and uh, different uh, 
outdoor activities, indoor activities, you still want to make sure everyone's practicing social distancing, wearing their masks. So if you have to, by all means, do it because that's how you're just going to make it work. If you don't have to, I would recommend just waiting. Let's just Mm -hmm. wait because if we're looking at the numbers right now in some of those big key states, and California is one of them, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the numbers are pretty much um, spiking. So we don't want to just jump right in and and, and try to get out there. We really want to try to maintain and do our job. Makes sense. Now, um, do you think homeschooling is actually better for a younger child because they have parents at their disposal Uh, all day? Or do you think that being in a school setting with teachers to do oftentimes the hard work and the disciplining um, is better? You know, that's really, uh, there's so many facets to homeschooling and being in a school setting. So when I look at education, you look at two things. Children go to school, yes, to learn the academics, but they also go to school for the social skills and social emotional development, right? So what sometimes is missing in a homeschool environment, which is not always the case, you just have to make sure you embed that, are those social opportunities, are the opportunities to make sure that they're learning the developmental play skills that they need, cooperative play when they're older, they're doing some healthy competition, learning sportsmanship, things that you may not get if you're an only child or you just have one other sibling. So a lot, I know a lot of families who homeschool their children and, uh, and sometimes they will homeschool one and not the other because of what their own learning needs are. Mm. And so I think everything's a yes, as long as it works for your child. I have families who have children who want to pursue certain sports or acting or theater, and they need that flexible schedule. So if you're asking me if, you know, a public or private outside school is better than like a homeschool environment, the answer is it it really depends. You can't say one is better than the other. It really, at the end of the day, it's how your child learns best and what's the best fit for them. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about um, the books you've written. Oh, I have two books. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Max is actually written a few years ago when I was out working in the school system and I felt that there was a limitation. I couldn't find a book to share with what we call neurotypical peers, so children who don't have any type of disability, and how to explain what autism was. And so my friend Max is really talking about, from a, a typical girl's perspective, what it is like to become friends with someone who has autism. And she goes through simple steps. She makes it, breaks it down. She talks about the importance of it and what it means to her, kindness, compassion, inclusion. And the goal for that book really was to be in every single classroom in the U.S. because I wanted teachers to be able to read it to their kids, knowing that there's a high prevalence, there's a high number of children with special needs who come into a general education classroom. So you were going to start to see people who have differences, whether it's on the outside, such as Down syndrome or cerebral palsy to certain things on the inside. Maybe they have a learning difference or maybe they have attention deficit disorder. And so everyone should be able to participate. And that's what that book was mostly about. And my other one, Winning Her Worries, which is so prevalent right now because of the stress that uh, we as a community and our society is going through. I counsel a lot of teenagers and teenagers come in with, that's probably my biggest clientele population is children with anxiety, especially the teens. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's embedded. And I use something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is highly effective working with these teens. But what 
I always wondered, and the reason I wrote this book was I wanted everyone else to have access to the same tips that I would use with someone I'm counseling who who has um, anxiety. And it doesn't mean that you have to have an anxiety disorder. It's just that the stress and the worries that our kids go through, wanting to be such high achievers, wanting to make sure that they fit in. If something goes wrong, uh, their resiliency, their ability to cope with it. And so I created a storybook for younger kids around three to 10 years old, because I wanted to target at a young age, teaching these healthy habits, these healthy coping mm-hmm the tools they need. So when they get to that, those teenage years, they're able to respond and cope with some of these everyday stressors. That's incredible. And we definitely need to have these resources at our fingertips in school and at home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just, that's what my books are. There's children's stories. At the end, there's always tips for parents and caretakers, but it is a, a resource, an accessible resource for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we've heard buzzwords like positive parenting, positive discipline. What does that mean? So the way I like to look at it is it's more of a parenting style. It's something that I implement myself. I'm a big believer in it, but, but it's basically, it's focusing on teaching children what you expect of them, what expectations you have in terms of behaviors that are acceptable through a more effective way in a positive manner. And so it's not that you don't implement or press any type of consequences. Of course, there's always consequences. It's that what are you doing to teach them to be better? What are you doing to continue to move them in the direction that you want them to go? Okay. So how is this different from conscious parenting, which is also kind of become a phenomenon of late? So positive parenting has a lot to do also with a background in behavior, the understanding of what I call just analyzing behavior. Conscious parenting is very child-centered and you are going, giving your child the space that they need. You're allowing them to feel what they're feeling. You're allowing them to be what, whatever it is that they're doing. So I believe positive parenting has an aspect of conscious parenting in it, but positive, again, positive parenting has specific steps that I use and I recommend when you're handling challenging behaviors that are somewhat different than someone who's practicing conscious parenting. Okay. Okay. Got it. So can you um, share some of those steps and tools with us now? Absolutely. One of the things that is a big takeaway right away that your listeners can can use right now is instead of using the word you need to, just shift that vocabulary and that those semantics, those phrases and say let's. Use the word let's. By using the word let's, you're using that team approach. And so you're saying, let's go over here and clean up together. Let's go and have dinner. Let's get ready to take your bath versus you need to get ready and go go get ready for a bath. You need to go to bed. And it really starts to shift that. And it's called declarative language, but it shifts that. uh, So it's not so... Um, powerful in the sense that your child feels that they're being in, in, being controlled, right? It's more of a teamwork approach. And then the other uh, another takeaway that I really like is make sure that you offer children choices. Children tend to 
comply and respond when you give them control, especially little ones around one and a half and onwards want to be in control of their life. They don't always like being told what to do. I know parents always want to pick out what they're wearing and, oh, it doesn't match or, oh my mm-hmm. goodness, why, why is she choosing to eat this before this or anything? I mean, some things we just have to let go and it gives them the autonomy, the freedom. It's a great life lesson, but giving them no more than two or three choices even at a young age, really teaches them that gives them that control. And you as a parent are still still in charge. I also recommend with positive parenting, and this is that behavior aspect of it coming in, is make sure you set clear limits on your child's behavior. So when you ask them to do something, don't just assume that they know what to do. So going back to my example with cleaning up, go clean up. I want as parents, mm-hmm. when I implement positive parenting, you want to be as descriptive as possible. So, you know, call them by the name so they know it's them. Right. And then tell them specifically what it is that you want cleaned up because they might go and put one thing away and think, okay, I'm done. I've cleaned up. And then you've been like, no, I meant for you to clean up that entire area over by the whiteboard, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. And, so, and then you get into that power struggle. So it's just defining your expectations and being, and I like, being visual. And so it's great to have these big checklists or something, you know, a fun chores list, anything that is very, very specific. And on the other Mm. hand, make sure when you do praise them, that isn't, it isn't general. In fact, if you just say good job, if you just say, well done, if you just say, I'm proud of you, what does that mean? Right. What are you proud of? What is it that you're telling me good job and why? That's actually, that's a reinforcement. Mm-hmm. But the way reinforcements work, the way positive reinforcement works is if you're specific to that behavior, if you say, right great job by putting your plate in the sink, the likelihood of that behavior happening again is higher than not addressing it at all or just saying good job. Now, what about when parents bribe? It's important that you brought that up because oftentimes when I'm working with families, that's something I don't want to bribe them. I don't want to make something based on something else. And the way I tell parents is, well, why are you working? And I was like, well, so I can put food on the table so I can get, make money. And I said, okay, so that's pretty much the same thing. So you're working to get, and you're getting reinforced because you're getting a paycheck at the end of two weeks. And that's help. That's for, that's telling you that you got to work, you're working some more so you can get that paycheck. So it's natural part of life. If, if, um, if I'm cold in my room, what am I going to go? I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to the thermostat and adjust it. Why? Because it's just yeah. a natural process. And so sometimes it is an intrinsic for kids. Sometimes, although they really try, bless their hearts, try really hard, they can't keep their hands and body still, or they can't uh, keep themselves from reaching for the, the toy that they're not supposed to have yet. And right. so we do have to instill some type of what's called contingency. So it's an if or then, or first you got to do this, then you're going to get that. And that's okay. part of human life. And, and I wouldn't consider it, obviously, my recommendation is uh, try to refrain from food or candy as the mm-hmm. reward, um, as do money. I'm not a, I believe you should practice money. Um, and I'll give you an example, money for report cards. I really would try to keep that separate because that's a separate teachable 
you know, thing that you need to talk about finances and economics and so forth. But why not do praise? Why not have stickers? Why not have some bigger tangibles? Maybe it's uh, a bunch of mini things to lead up to that basketball. And it really does over time make it where they don't need that much reinforcement to Mm. do what it is that you wanted to do because it makes them feel good ultimately anyways. Yes. Yes. Now, when you have teenagers though, how do you reward them? So that's a good point. So what we're talking about is reward systems, reward chart. Mm-hmm. As they get older, you want them to be in control of that. So you always get buy-in with your teens. In fact, it's right. really important because you're not going to get them to comply unless you come up with something that is mutually agreeable. And oftentimes you can do what's called a behavior contract where you uh, create something that they actually have to sign because it gives that separate type of accountability. And the other thing too is um, make it socially appropriate. doesn't mean you have to get rid of and you can't do a sticker chart. And going back to the sticker chart, a lot of parents will tell me too, is the stars aren't working anymore. They yeah. don't, don't think that you have to switch up the, you know, switch up what's at the end, switch up the stickers. Maybe you go to stamp. Uh, maybe. Yes. So keep it exciting, keep it novel. And the other thing I want to remind parents and listeners is that think about your child and what they're capable, where they can feel the most success. So if they're a child who cannot wait an entire week for a reward, don't put them through that because they're not going to be successful. Maybe do three days and then the next week do enough, do four days and then the next week maybe try to push it to that fifth. So kind of think about that when you are putting a system in place. You've got to mm-hmm. catch them where they're most successful. Right. Right. Um, But for teens, definitely they too can be in charge. So I create more socially appropriate behavior systems in Mm -hmm. place and they can wait longer. So they've got more of a tolerance. And so you Mm -hmm. can go the two week mark and you can, but make sure you check in with them. Make sure you let them know that you see that they're making effort because oftentimes it's not always the outcome. It's the the process that they really are trying to be better and to be that make better choices. So you want to make sure. And and the other thing, too, especially with teens, is that you want to make sure that you are not only checking in, but you're creating opportunities to catch them making good choices. And that's Mm. as parents in general. Sometimes kids feel like it's never, especially teens, you're never going to let me go out and see my my friends. You're never going to let me uh, drive the car. And it's always, no, it's not always never. So really create at those times moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always call it sabotaging the situation that they that they do feel that praise when you do catch them making the choice. Right, 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 right. It makes sense. So positive parenting kind of sounds a little idealistic. And sometimes those who are maybe a little more old school in their thinking rely on tough love. Are they opposites? So punishment over time and research supports this is not effective. People think punishment is, oh, spanking or putting my child in a timeout. Punishment is also removing a favorite item, taking their Nintendo away, taking Mm -hmm. something that they had, that they love and putting it away or not allowing them to have it or even go out. And that's also punishment. But research actually supports that over time, although it's like an aversive thing and it, it is that tough love and they're trying to, it doesn't, it's not effective. The behaviors don't go away. The things, the expectations, the demands aren't met. And so that's why taking that teachable, positive approach is really important 
hand in hand. So it is a misconception. Just because we're implementing something called positive parenting doesn't mean that we are not disciplining of the mm-hmm. child. It's just that we're making sure after they come back from that take a break or time out, we're checking in with them. Do you know why you had to go? Let's go and sit in that chair away from everybody else while they're playing a game of Uno and you couldn't participate. And then ask them, would you like to try again? And so you want to use that teachable moment, give them an, a, a reason for the little one to be able to participate in the game, show that they knew how, for example, to take turns without mm-hmm. fighting or anything. And then you catch them and say, that's a great job. You are taking turns the way you're supposed to be. And it kind of all encompasses together. Okay, great. Uh, so there are times where parents just feel at the end of their rope, frustrated, And we just resort to yelling or we're just even a broken record and repeating how many times did I have to ask you to do that? So what would you have to say to them and how can we actually make a shift and try another tactic? Uh, First of all, I think parents need to cut themselves, um, give yourself some grace, give yourself some permission to feel the way that you're feeling, lean into what it is that you're feeling, especially during this time where our emotions are really high and we're dealing with what I call sec- I mean, secondary trauma, where we are not in the, per se, in the moment. Maybe we haven't physically been affected. However, we are feeling everything that's going on and our children are sensing that too. So our level yeah. of emotion are so high. And it's really important to know that, that you sometimes might need to step away or have your partner or spouse or someone else just kind of step in for a second and go, I got to take a breather. I'll be right back. And, and, and that's very much okay. You have to make an agreement. For example, in my house, we, both my husband and I, before we had kids decided, okay, we're not going to, and it, it seemed idealistic at the time. And this is what I'm going to say, but we told ourselves we weren't going to yell at <laughs> yeah. our children. And we're not going to yell at our children. And, yeah. um, but the reality is, is it happens, right? But mm-hmm. the goal, the thing is, is that you are setting up an intention. You're creating a goal that you don't want to. And so that really is the shift. And so what I would tell parents who feel like they're angry all the time or <laughs> they're constantly yelling at your child, check in with yourself and say, what is, what is it that, I, how do I want to parent? What is it that I want to do? And take small steps. And when you find yourself in a situation where it's just a power struggle, where no one wins, I mean, who yells the loudest really isn't going to get to who's going to do their homework, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you That's have so to, true. you have to kind of find uh an escape, a way for you to have your almost sanctuary, your time where you can take care of yourself. Because oftentimes it's it's that you've come home from work and you've had a rough day. And oftentimes our kids need us most at that point. And so what does that mean? Does it mean I need to go drive around a few laps, you know, a few times before I get into the driveway? Because I know my children are going to come, come at me when I get in the door. So mm. really adjusting yourself and giving yourself that grace is important. Yes, yes. I wanted to give you some scenarios and have you illustrate um, how to manage them as an expert. So uh, let's start with you have a toddler who refuses to eat the food that you've given to him and you've already, you know, um, given him choices uh, in his plate and he's just like, no, I don't want it. So do you, um, you know, acquiesce in a way and say, okay, that's fine. You don't have to eat this and let them go hungry? 
um, spoon feed him? What I would say is be realistic of prior to even putting the plate out because you do want them to finish. So be realistic in terms of what they're capable of eating. Yes, you might want them to be eating, you know, X, Y, and Z, but it might be to start with two green beans versus the 10 that you're about to put, put on their, be on, put on their plate because you want them to feel successful. You want that opportunity to praise them and say, Oh my goodness, good job. You're going to be so strong because you ate all, you know, ate all your veggies. And so start, that's the before, because we don't want to wait for a behavior to happen. Now let's say you're in it and you're like, great. I kind of miscalculated this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my child isn't eating the spinach that I have on their plate. Right. I want you as parents to stay in control. So don't say, okay, fine, you're done, go off. Or fine, you can have that dessert because you're not going to eat this anyway. Because right then your child just won that particular yes. moment. Yes, yeah. So, so I'm saying would, not to give up. Yes, don't give in, don't give up, but stay in control. And the way you do that is saying, okay, well, you don't want what's here but you're going to give them two choices. You're going to say you can have one bite or you can have one and a half bite. Which one are you going to choose? And so you think <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, which one? Well, I'm just going to have that one bite. But it's a win-win for you because you stayed in control. Right. And, you know, and then the Slick. next time around, the next time around, you're not going to give that much because we're going to take baby steps yes. to get there. Yes. Okay. Nicely done. Now, what about incessant crying? So it's really important to remember that crying is a form of communication. It's a behavior and and people engage, children engage in behaviors, especially at such a young age because of uh, four things. One is because either they're seeking, they want some type of attention. They want to get out of a situation. Why do babies cry in a crib? Because they want to be picked up. They want to get out of that situation. Uh, Maybe they want what's called a tangible. Maybe they're hungry, right? Maybe their diaper needs to be changed. And another reason why someone would cry, a baby or a child, or would, why we all cry too, is um, because there's something internal going on. And, and oftentimes with little ones, that's not that's not always the case, but you, but you never know. And I'm going back to my children who have disabilities. Sometimes they have behaviors because something internal isn't feeling right. Um, and something's automatic and that's where they're crying. And so as a parent detective, I would ask that you look at what's going on when they are crying. And all our kids cry. And there's always a reason. It's some form of communication. And little ones sometimes can't articulate everything they want. And so maybe they cry because of that. Maybe mm-hmm. something was taken away. Maybe they don't like the situation they're in. So that is why children cry. It is It is a behavior and it is because of something that they're trying to express to you. So as parents, we have to figure out those four, what I call functions, like reasons why we do what we do in terms of humans or children. And once you identify that, it'll help you solve that problem. So I love trying to find realistic strategies that are relatable and meaningful to children when I come up with solutions and takeaways. Them, I call them interventions. And so at the traffic light is a very popular, I say well-known tool that I like to use because the red light 
represents to stop. And this is, again, we're talking about behaviors and the green mm-hmm. light says that they can go and be whoever they want. They're good to go. They're making good choices. Yellow is almost that warning, the warning sign. And so if you just Google or just go online and you can DIY this, there's so many printed sheets available as well. You can create your own home rule traffic light and you just pick one or two behaviors that you're having some difficulty with, with your children or a child. And you create this traffic light as a warning, a great visual to let them know and check in with them and how they're doing. And so something to try. And if you need obviously further assistance, you can always reach out to me and be happy to help. But it is a great and effective tool to use with challenging behaviors. Yes, absolutely. And teens and talking back. What it happens, I really do think what happens is as parents, we constantly think we need to enable them still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we do. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still our babies. and But they, they at, as adolescents, feel invincible. They think nothing can hurt them, nothing can harm them, and, and they're fine. And so uh, you definitely get into uh, discussions or disagreements because uh, what they're not happy with, the demands we put in place as parents, the, the feeling that they feel that they're being controlled. And so it really does go to create the family rules and it applies to everyone, including your, your teens. And that especially is with digital, digital detox and, and gadgets and so forth, because that's been the biggest struggle, I think, with teenagers and social media and knowing when to say no and keeping themselves attentive and, and doing, especially during this quarantine, making sure that they engage in household chores. They should be doing their job to helping helping out you as parents because you shouldn't be doing everything. And so really creating those rules and having that discussion and agreeing to it. Again, it goes to back to getting them to buy in and letting them choose. For example, when you talk about household chores, they should have some say in what it is that they help contribute to do. So it's not always you saying you, you, you use that let's language and then also check in with them and ask them. Sometimes they feel like they're not being heard. Oftentimes mm. parents, we jump in when they're telling us about something or, or when we were driving and picking up our kids from school, the minute they sat in the front seat, what do we do? We've got our list of a billion questions. You know, what, what'd you get on this test? And did you do this? And did you go talk to this teacher? And honestly, they just want to sit and debrief. They just want to sit and de-escalate and and just have a second to themselves and, and play right. the music that they want to listen to and, and don't jump in right away. And so teenagers will approach you if you start to also shift and not judge and give your two cents. And so sometimes at a, at a dinner table, and I recommend doing this every day, is ask them what went well. Uh, get their yes. thoughts. Don't try to problem solve and, um, and just listen and validate and let them know, wow, you know, that does suck, <laughs> you know, or yeah. that is hard. <laughs> right, right. And don't ever try to put your, don't ever, <laughs> the one thing I always tell parents to do is never say it was like that for me or bring in your own history of memory mm. of what happened to you <laughs> during that time because it is nowhere near the same and your teenager doesn't want to be compared to your teenage life. Teenage right, life. right. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it as a parent, you know, I can very well remember when my parents did that and it was like, oh, it was a different time. <laughs> yes. So what are some of the family values that you have um, at home? That's a great question. We have a family mission statement, something I recommend all families to do. We did it 
with all everyone, even my little guy who's mm-hmm. involved. And um, and we have it in our in our house. And our big family is just to be selfless and um, to give back and do something that is beyond ourselves and giving back to our community. And I am a big uh, believer in something called positive psychology. And the one research-based thing I want to tell all the listeners is when you do something for someone else, and even if it's unexpected, but if you do even a small little token of something for someone else, and you compare that to you, let's say doing something fun for yourself, for example, watching a Netflix movie or you know, getting a manicure or taking a hot shower, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the length of gratitude and the length of happiness, those positive emotions are actually higher when it is that you do something, when you do something for someone else. And so, so we always talk about the feelings we get when we do stuff for others, when we help those in our community, when we help our, even our neighbor, even if you help your sibling, a parent, anyone, it's just that those positive emotions last so much longer and that happiness and that feeling uh, lasts so much longer than doing something um, internally for a quick, uh, you know, a, a quick uh, few minutes or even a day of reward that you would get for yourself. Absolutely. That's really, really great advice. Tell us about a mom sense moment that you've experienced. Oh, I love that. You know, I go with my gut a lot. And I, I want to say pro- helping another mama out. You feel like you don't want to intervene or you don't want to be, you know, maybe they have too much going on, but just jumping in and, and not saying anything and just saying, I'm here for you. And whether they want to talk or not in that particular moment, that that parent didn't want to talk, but was so appreciative that I was just right there sitting with her during a difficult time. And I remember thinking that, um, I can't, I can't be afraid to just step in if I see someone in need and just, I went with my gut at that moment. So yeah, that's great. That's so great. It's now time for mom hall when we share products we love. So is there something that, um, especially during quarantine, you are so glad you've, you know, purchased, (laughs) Oh, good question. A couple of things. Um, some mm-hmm. are more f- funny than others, but we've been doing family TikToks, which is huge. I think <laughs> bringing our family together and making myself cooler than I, you know, I'm sure my daughters think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another big thing I think is um, purchasing uh, board games, going back to old school board games, uh, life, all those games that we used to play when we were younger and bringing them in the house and finding those family game nights because we're together anyways. And mm-hmm. it just, it's just been so fun and it's uh, brought us down to just be living simply. And, um, and then family exercise has been really fun. So we've been getting uh, brought, bringing in some equipment, um, uh, yoga mats and uh, yoga blocks and things like that. And just doing family led virtual exercises, which I think uh, is, is, has been really fun as well. I love it. I love it. Um, my mom haul item for the week is um, my Blissey um, scrunchies and eye mask. I, yeah, I love this brand. Um, so they actually are known for their 100% mulberry silk pillowcase. Mm-hmm. And silk pillowcases are supposed to allow you to have better hair, better skin, better oh, sleep, right? But they have an eye mask and, you know, a hair tie as well. I need pitch black when I'm asleep. 
And this eye mask provides that. So even though I'm not sleeping as much as I would like to, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm getting to that REM phase faster. <laughs> yeah, no, anything that helps. I mean, you want to be as efficient as possible. So I love that. Thanks for yes. sharing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and we link these products um, in the show notes. And lastly, where can my audience find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, social platforms, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Rena, R-E-E-N-A, B, B, B like boy, Patel, P-A-T-E-L. My website, I do do a lot of virtual sessions. I have international clients as well, but www.renabpatel.com. That's great, Rena. I am so, so grateful to you for helping empower all of us parents <laughs> with this knowledge because... We um, have been, you know, struggling, I think, off late. And you really just want to find that balance. And I think that the um, tactics and overarching philosophy you have for positive parenting will help us create that peace that we're looking for at home. Aw, thank you. You guys are all wonderful. Just don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> yes, yes. Agreed. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, moms and dads, I hope that this episode has equipped you with some positive parenting tactics, and now you will use these tools and resources when it comes to truly helping your children understand and grow and develop at every phase of their life. Tune into other episodes and browse my YouTube videos and blog posts on my website, that's totalmomsense.com. And if you have suggestions for show topics or guests whom I should invite on the show, or if you're just seeking advice or want to say hi, please write to me at that's totalmomsense at gmail.com. Remember, always trust your mom sense and dad sense. Stay strong, everyone. See you next time. That's total mom sense.